This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's August of 2023, and we have big news to report. In August, India adopted a Digital Personal Data Protection Act that's been assented to by its president. Uh, and it's really the a comprehensive approach to regulating digital data privacy in the world's most populous country. With us, uh, as we've had him as a guest before, is my good friend, Stephen Mathias of Kochar and Company. Stephen, thank you for joining uh, us today. Thank you for having me, Joe. Now, you're the uh, senior resident partner of the Bangalore office of Kochar and Company, and, and uh, that's one of uh, India's premier large law firms. And you're the co-chair of the technology law practice. And you and I have been talking for about five years. That's what it's taken to get to this point where the the governing uh, political party of, of the country took five years to adopt this law after a lot of back and forth, different drafts. And let me start with that, Stephen. What, what took so long? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's five years and in fact, five drafts. Uh, so it started in 2017 when the Supreme Court held that privacy is a fundamental right under the Constitution of India. The first draft came in 2018. The first uh, three drafts were really uh, based on GDPR, and they were very comprehensive. And I felt personally that it was uh, far too much for Indian industry to cope with. You India, called it, I think, it, data privacy uh, heavy uh, rather than light, uh, just too much for India. That's right. For a couple of reasons. One is that the, you know, India doesn't have much of a history of data privacy compliance. And two, we have a very large, uh, you know, small and medium enterprise sector. And all of them would struggle with a GDPR type law. Right. The regulation in, in, and so on. Yeah. Last year in 2022, the government realized that, decided to scrap the draft that they had had. And uh, they prepared a new draft, which was a much simpler one that came out towards the end of uh, 2022. And then um, this one is based on that. It's a little more comprehensive than that, but still based on that, it's still simpler than than GDPR or GDPR-type legislations that we're seeing today. Now, it's just been passed and the president has said, okay. And so when will it become uh, effective? Do we know yet? So there is one more process that's left, which is for the government to notify when it will come into force. The government has announced, the minister has announced that it would take six to 10 months, and he expects it will be in force within 10 months. India's uh, not used to having a kind of a you know grace period for compliance with the law. But what we have seen in the past is the government tends to bring in different parts of the legislation into force at different times. So, for example, the, the one relating to the Data Protection Board, they would bring that in first because the board is to be appointed uh, and, you know, all of that. And they, they probably need to prepare some notifications required under the law. So, so kind of a rolling implementation first. is what we can expect. Very interesting. Very different from a law passed that says the effective date is January 1. We have much more to, to learn. Well, let me ask you this. What's the law like, really? Does it uh, differ much from uh, Europe's approach to GDPR? Sure. It's definitely simpler than GDPR. It's less detailed. It has some provisions which uh, uh, in uh, GDPR has provisions which are not there in this uh, law. 
uh, relating to, say, accountability, uh, data portability, privacy by design, and so on. All of that's that's missing. There are a few things where it appears to be stricter than GDPR. So, for example, GDPR has a very clear uh, legitimate interest type of ground. Here you have some provisions relating to legitimate use, which are really some exemptions, but there's no real legitimate interest type of ground. Then there's um, the notification in the case of a data breach uh, that has been given to every data subject and to the Data Protection Board of India in every case, and not just breaches, but even situations of vulnerability seem to be covered. And while we're on breach, uh, the prior draft uh, said six-hour notification. Did that end up in the in the law? So that uh, is a different law that is issued by what they call the the CERT. It's a cybersecurity unit of the government. Mm-hmm. That's a different law that those uh, requirements came into force. And uh, there is no indication whether that will be removed or not. So I think... Businesses uh, better get ready uh, (laughs) when this takes effect. (laughs) Or possibly two two notifications to two different government organizations. Now, you mentioned legitimate interest in consent, and we've seen over the years how Europe has dealt with that. And uh, another thing is, is it similar to GPR? Does it have sensitive personal data versus just personal data? So in the previous uh, 2022 draft, they did away with the concept of sensitive person data. So there is no such thing as sensitive personal data. It's just personal data or not personal data. That's right. Interesting. Interesting. And then a legitimate interest, you're saying there's some definition, but it's pretty vague? So there are uh, there are situations of what they call legitimate use, and uh, there are exemptions as well. Uh, So, for example, the outsourcing industry processing foreign personal data is largely exempt, not entirely. Unusually, situations of employment are also exempt. Well, let's take that someone Uh, applies for a job and says, I'm a graduate of uh, whatever it is. Uh, Pretty obvious there's consent, but it's not expressed, but it is legitimate interest in looking at the information. Yes. Then there's an unusual provision which talks about personal data being given voluntarily by the data subject and where the data subject does not uh, communicate, uh, you know, non-acceptance of processing of personal data. In that case, you can process personal data. It's a bit unusual. uh, I think not very well drafted. It probably relates to a couple of scenarios. One is uh, an automatic handing over of personal data. So uh, the illustration given is you go to a pharmacy and then you're asked for your personal information and you hand that over. No uh, other so, way to do it. That's uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in, in that case, or it could relate to contractual necessity. Mm-hmm. So I think it relates mostly to that. The language is quite wide because voluntary means also that, you know, the data uh, um, fiduciary can ask for the personal data to be given for a laundry list of uh, purposes and you still give it voluntarily. It does seem that consent, though, is in a way more fundamental in India will be than uh, than, than in GDPR. Would that be right? That's correct. Yes. Interesting. 
But let's turn to this. How about the, the government's right to get information about people? How did that end up? What is the government approach to uh, to that? So here the issue is the, uh, I mean, in this law, the issue is not so much the government's uh, right to obtain personal information, but the manner in which the law applies to the government itself. So there are roughly three different things. There's a direct exemption given to the judiciary, which they've now extended to bodies that have regulatory and supervisory powers. And so most of the obligations don't apply there. Uh-huh. Then so there's a kind power... of an exemption approach. Uh, the government simply is not subject to the law. Yeah. Then there's a, a general provision where the government can exempt any government authority from any provision of the law. And then there's again a direct exemption for some of the rights, particularly rights relating to, uh, you know, retention, deletion, and so on. So those will also um, not apply. I so, would expect uh, then that would really be a problem for India being considered an adequate uh, jurisdiction by, uh, by by Europe, by the European Union. That's correct. So I think the possibility of obtaining a, a, an adequacy ruling is virtually nil based on these provisions. Interesting. The the government approach to delegated legislation, and then you mentioned the uh, the new Data Protection Board, uh, the DP DP. BI that we're going to start hearing about. Is that a regulator or just an adjudicator or what is it? So this is one uh, thing that I found quite disappointing. I'm actually a believer in having a more bare bones kind of data protection law and building data protection law through uh, delegated legislation. Um, And I think a lot of engagement with stakeholders consultation papers, conferences, uh, you know, all of that, I think that that helps uh, build the law. And of course, uh, you know, research papers, recommendation papers, and so on. And you see some of that with the European Data Protection Board uh, also. What they've done here is there are two different agencies. One's the central government, the other's the Data Protection Board of India. The Data Protection Board of India has essentially adjudication powers. So if you have a problem with the way personal data is being processed, uh, you first complain to that data controller. And then if you're not happy there, then you go to the data protection board. Uh, The data protection board can impose penalties and so on. The power of delegated legislation is entirely with the central government. Ah, so Um, the government will have to adopt new laws to uh, refine the basic law that's been adopted. That's right. And uh, there's uh, there's a complaint by many that the term as may be prescribed is mentioned far, far too many times in this law. I, I personally don't have a problem with it, but my problem is, is in giving the power to the central government. I, I would rather have a more empowered authority like the Data Protection Board uh, have delegated legislation power. Right, and staff with, uh, with real knowledge of what's going on and how they can deal with situations. But very different, uh, very different approach. Well, let's turn to the very important outsourcing. We call it outsourcing BPO or so on, outsourcing industry in India. How, how will it be affected by the uh, by the new law? So um, the law, by and large, includes an exemption for personal data of persons outside India. So most of the law will not apply. 
So that's both good news and bad news. Good news in the sense that, uh, especially over the whole issue of, you know, grounds for processing legitimate interest versus consent, then you don't want, uh, you know, a foreign company having to go and, you know, get consent, having already, you know, collected the personal data. So that clash of two laws will not occur. There are um, some provisions that do apply, the main one being the requirement to maintain reasonable uh, security safeguards. So that would still apply. And if there's the, a breach and uh, uh, failure to uh, to have uh, reasonable safeguards, the, the fine now can be up to 30 million US dollars, to put it in dollar terms, something like so it's much more significant than uh, the prior uh, drafts. That's right. What what is a, a surprise though is that one of the reasons why one wanted to have a data privacy law in India is the idea that you assure the world that India processing more of the world's personal data than any other country can tell the world that you know we have a robust and strong data protection law, but that won't be the case here because that law would not apply to that personal data. Very interesting way to deal with it. And uh, and just a couple of last things. Boy, we could spend much more time. Maybe we'll have you back in six to eight months, 10 months, whenever the law becomes effective. But uh, data localization, let's talk about that a little bit. I know I've done podcasts in the past where India seemed to be leaning to data localization. But uh, do I read it right that the law takes a rather different approach? Countries don't have to prove adequacy from an Indian. Instead, India is going to have, am I right, a kind of negative list if it wants to about certain foreign countries, which seems much freer access of uh, foreign uh, companies to uh, help process Indian data. Did I read it right? Yes, that's right. So I think, uh, you know, uh, India, the Indian government, the Indian regulators have gone through quite a journey uh, in this area. There was a time where they talked about data sovereignty that uh, that the that the country and the government had some kind of uh, ownership or sovereignty over personal data of indian citizens and it should not be sent out of india and then they had these three categories critical data that could not be sent out of india sensitive personal data where you could have a have it sent out of india but you need a copy in india and then other personal uh, data which was not uh, that were not subject to data localization so they've done away with all of that. And instead, they just have a negative list. And it basically says government can notify that these are the countries to whom you cannot send personal data. And there's no list yet. We'll see what the government does. Interesting. One one, one last point before we uh, head to home here on this uh, podcast segment. Significant data fiduciary. That's a new term I haven't seen in uh, other other laws around the world. What is that? And and I think they're the ones that must appoint a data protection officer, but others don't. Talk a little about that, would you, Stephen? Sure. So a data protection, uh, a, a significant data fiduciary is a data fiduciary or a data controller who could satisfy either of two tests. The first one is where they process personal data of a particular volume, which the government will notify. And the second one is where their processing of personal data could have an implication in terms of an impact on the integrity and sovereignty of India or threat to democracy. 
Now, in my mind, when I think of that, I think of content and I think of uh, possibly, in particular, news content. So we might have a situation that sort of thing. Yes, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we might have a situation where you will have some of the big players, the the Facebooks and Googles, were definitely covered in the first one, but you may have small news publications that could be covered in the second one. So what's the uh, implication of that? You need to appoint a data protection officer. That's not a big deal because even the other data uh, controllers have to appoint someone to deal with uh, grievances. There's not that much of difference there. There is a obligation to do, a, do an audit and to do a privacy impact assessment. The details of that are somewhat sketchy and, and they probably need to be prescribed. Well, I'm sure in coming days, you're going to be quite busy helping organizations and individuals get ready for this law, as, as you pointed out, kind of a rolling... Uh, uh, application as, as, as expect. Any final words for our listeners today, Stephen? Um, I just say that, uh, you know, in the past when we had uh, those first four drafts, um, I had clients, uh, you know, come to me and say, you know, we need to, you know, move forward uh, or with complying with this. And I told them, no, I, I would hold you back and say, don't do that because it's not a final draft. It's not yet even, you know, presented to parliament. Now I would say this one is a final draft. It's been passed by parliament. It's been assented to by the president. The only question left is uh, when will it come into force? So I think that process of uh, understanding the law, understanding how it applies to you, and then what you need to do about it, I think that process can begin. Thank you. Very uh, different approach. Uh, we've seen from uh, Europe and many other countries something Uh, Really, all organizations that have any global outreach need to come to grips with. Stephen, thank you so much for taking us on this tour. And as always, I will remind us all, as we close today, protecting your personal data begins with you. 